Welcome back to another episode of Blues on Parade, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about Deserby and Brighton. Today, we have a full Blues on Parade squad. We got both Som and the recently birthday boy, Zach. We'll start with you. Zach, how does it feel to be 29? Uh, Drinking is getting more and more difficult as I am aging. I I really miss the days of being in my early 20s where I can just drink whatever, mix whatever, wake up the next day, work out, be productive. Um, but now it's it's the total opposite. So I feel like shit, but I also feel grateful that I've been on 29 years. I hope to be on it another 100 more. So, yeah. Good. And, uh, and he says this while sipping on whiskey. So, <laughs> so much for, for that long recovery thing. Hair of the dog, baby. Hair and of the dog. I totally feel you on that, Zach. Last night, um, Zach had some people over for his birthday, and like, I didn't drink at all because I needed to do stuff today, and I didn't want to ruin my whole day by drinking. So it's like, when you get older, you have to make responsible decisions. It sucks. I hate it. It's like, what, what happened to the good old days where you could just be irresponsible and do whatever you wanted? It's like... The real life world, it sucks, guys. You want to know what I happened? A- another sign of me getting old. Just a little side note: I shotgunned a beer yesterday and oh, I got bloated. <laughs> I've never gotten bloated from shotgunning a beer before. <laughs> I shotgunned a beer yesterday, and then like thirty seconds after, you know, you do your little burp, and I'm like, wait a second, bloating is still there. It's not going away. No matter how much I belch, <laughs> it wouldn't go away. So, yeah, man, my body just man. uh that doesn't like alcohol anymore. As much as it used to, at least. Yeah, I think I have a hard out at like two shotguns per year now. Yeah, I haven't shotgunned a beer in years. It's been years. I have I'm no desire to. I shotgun a beer for years after that. I have no, no desire to. I used to do it every weekend, multiple shotguns, and I have no desire now. I'll drink it <laughs> slow. I'll sip on it slow. Oh, God damn it! And we're like... 29. I know there's people listening who are older, probably like, oh, fuck these kids saying that they're old. Like, we are still relatively young. So let's not, let's try not to rub it in too much to our uh, older listeners. And and that other 29 year old was Sam. We didn't get to introduce him formally, but Sam, you've been watching a lot of the preseason matches of everyone else like me, man. How, how has that been for you having football back? I missed it so much. I mean, this last season, uh, I I probably watched more non-Chelsea games than ever before because I, had, I got zero enjoyment from watching Chelsea matches. So, like, I needed to get my football fixed. So I watched, like, a bunch of other teams. And, um, like, right now, it's just, like, a completely dead time in sports. The only thing going on right now is baseball. So as soon as that first preseason match hit, oh man, I'm loving it. I saw, I saw Villa, um, who they played today, Villa, Newcastle. Newcastle. I saw Fulham, um, uh, Brentford earlier today. It's like, 
Dude. I, I would never watch these matches, but it was like so much joy. I love it. I'm so happy it's back. And it's like, no, they're like, they're not even trying 100%, and they're still looking good. So can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty fun weekend. I mean, I know you were with family before this, but I got to catch also the Madrid AC Milan game. And it's just this preseason has been very, very entertaining. And for us Chelsea fans, I'd say even more so because while all these other teams have the same manager, the the main core of of players, you know, maybe a one extra signing, we are seeing a brand new squad, a new manager, a new style. And <laughs> it's like a I breath mean, of fresh air. <laughs> it is completely breath of fresh air. And that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, if you've been living under a rock, we won both of our matches so far. 5-0 against Wrexham and then 4-3 yeah. versus Brighton. We smashed and... Wrexham. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> real proud of that victory over a League 2 side. League 2. So, yeah, to I, be fair... Go ahead. I said, if there's one thing that we learned for sure in this preseason, we would probably win League Two. Probably. <laughs> if we were in it. I, and I think a lot of new fans from the U.S. probably learned that just because you're owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney that you're not in the Premier League yet. Because yeah. the amount of like red in that stadium was honestly impressive. Yeah. But I... Th- Going back to Chelsea, I just want to say, guys, like the first thing I've noticed is just the atmosphere, both around the club, hell, social media. I haven't seen so much positivity and and just hype around what should be a very scary season because our starting lineups so far, if I'm not mistaken, are averaging at 19 years old so far this preseason, which to most people that would be. An absolute nightmare, but nine goals later, here we are with two wins. What do you guys think about about how it's feeling right now at the Chelsea camp? It does feel weird to see the ball go in the back of the net. It's also weird to see us create chances, and it's weird to see us play with a center forward that likes to drop in and link up play and uh, actually shoot the ball on target and not 30 yards over the over the crossbar. <laughs> Um, it's nice to have depth in every single position. Um, and it's nice to see the new faces. I think this is the first preseason where we are legitimately looking at a squad of pretty much everybody fighting for a spot, um, minus maybe two or three names that, I mean, obvious like Bashir Humphreys, um, I'm forgetting his name, but that right back that played against Wrexham, um, from the Academy, possibly Angelo. I mean, we know he's... Gilchrist, yeah. I mean, and possibly Angelo. I mean, we know the Strasbourg deal that we have with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in seasons past, we would roll into preseason with Matt Miazga, Ross Barkley, uh, Baba Raman. Uh, you could kind of go down the list there and put the, the rest together. But yeah, the outcasts. And this is the first preseason that I can remember where we don't have a gang of them. We only... And even the guys that aren't necessarily um, like up to it you know the humphreys the gilchrists of the world they still have the chance to be that player next season or the season after so it's not we're not looking at them like okay they're just dead in the water let's get 10 or 15 million for them we're looking at them as like okay these are actual legitimate prospects where we could send them off on loan gauge them and 
you know, do our due diligence as opposed to just chalking off five or six players from the first preseason game and going, yep, none of these guys are going to be anywhere near the team. Yeah, we're not we're not seeing your ZS, your Lukaku, your Hudson Adoys get minutes right now. They're still in England waiting for their moves as they should be. We're not here to give them a chance to get a last minute move by wasting the minutes of the people that will actually be around. Um, yeah. So I, like- I want to ask you real quick in terms of how we're playing. I just want you to tell me like because you're right, last season was depressing, and you were the first to say, "Fuck this! This is not worth my time. I've got better <laughs> things to do." You know, I'm I'm a new lawyer. I got I got to pay my bills. I'm not gonna waste my time watching this Chelsea shit. Tell me, yeah. how does it feel, my guy? Yeah, me and Zach watched uh, the Wrexham match together, and I think we were smiling almost the whole time. Um, it it's. It, I haven't felt this way about watching a Chelsea match in over a year. Um, so it, it's been awesome. I mean, look, like, yeah, we scored five goals against a League Two team. And then we scored four goals against 10 men Brighton. Like, you know, like, we shouldn't be that hyped up. But I don't give a shit, honestly. Like, seven goals, or sorry, nine goals. In two matches, like, did we even score nine goals in a full month last season? I don't, I don't even know if Frank scored nine goals. We did not, yeah, <laughs> under, under the, the last 15 matches or something like that, we didn't get to nine goals. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I don't even care about who we're playing, what we're playing against, whatever. Like, just the fact that I'm seeing the ball go into the back of the net is so awesome. The kids look amazing. I am so excited about the future of this team. I know going into this season uh, that we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna challenge for the Premier League title. We're, we might not even finish top four. But I, like I think going into the season, I'm accepting that I'm okay with that. But even even knowing that. I know for a fact I'm going to enjoy this season a lot more because it's more about the excitement and seeing these players and envisioning what we're going to look like next year, the year after that, the year after that. I mean, bringing in Nkunku, he's he's the one guy that we brought in who it's going to be an instant, like, wow, like we can see exactly what he's doing. And then the other young guys, you know, we'll, we'll get into um, whether they start playing and establishing themselves a role this year or maybe they get loaned out and we can watch them play on another team and envision how they're going to look for us when they come back it's it's a lot i think as a i think most chelsea fans were kind of skeptical about like our 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 moves this off season and like you know, it seemed like every day we were signing another random, like, 18, 19-year-old kid. And it's like, what's going on? We, we still have Keppa in goal. We're missing a DM. Like, this cast, the, the Caicedo deal is still not done yet. What's going on? But I think we've kind of reached a point where Chelsea fans kind of understand what's, what the vision is. And kind of, after losing a lot of faith in the board... And in ownership, 
I think this the last couple of months kind of gave a lot more confidence. I know personally, I am getting a lot more confidence with like the like the the vision and what we're doing. Yeah, and props to them for finally getting a good scouting team on board because some of these signings go back to January, right? Your yeah. Malo Gusto, obviously, and Kunku was done then, but you added Andre Santos and who is been doing a lot already or Cassidy who got golden ball at the world cup over the summer. These are quality players. They've got the, the technique and, and on top of that, they just look so beyond their years. That Angelo guy, like none of us knew who he was <laughs> yeah. little did little did we know he's already got over a hundred senior caps in Brazil. Like he's been a kid playing with men and you can tell you can, you can tell that compared to Moreira, for example, I, I think I butchered his name, but the fact that Angelo is comfortable in possession, comfortable in tight spaces, knows exactly what to do in situations, and he can't drink anywhere in the world. Like it's a it's it's nuts to think of it that way. I hope that you know this is the move, and it's not like what we saw back in the day when Emanalo was trying to build something like this, and then Roman was going to buy the new flavor of the month every summer. But the just the level of technical like technical ability that these kids have regardless of the opposition is pretty impressive and uh, like i think also when news will keep you know every week there's news coming out about us buying another kid another kid like my idea was like okay these guys are buying these kids they're going to loan you know it's going to be another loan army type of situation where they buy them for whatever 10 million less 7 million and then in a year or two they sell them for profit and like that's their mo but i think after seeing them play like i feel like oh wow these were actually like smart buys targeting like young players who have a lot of potential and more likely their goal is to integrate them into the team not just buy them to sell them for profit i mean Maybe some of the guys they're planning on doing that with, but you know, when we get more into the matches, we'll talk about certain players that I'm talking about. But it's it's exciting. I like it a lot. And 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 talking about what we're seeing in the matches, I I just want to point out that we've had potch practice with these guys roughly two weeks now, and I think we can all agree that last year we knew what was going to happen when we entered the final third and go into towards the box. The ball would get rotated in and around the box until a random cross would come in. And then we prayed that it would go in the back of the net in 180 minutes. I have yet to see a blind cross out of frustration happen once, just once. Haven't seen it once in this team. Everything. Yeah, seems Mujic, to have a Mujic did it a couple times. I saw. Well, the, the other thing, since we're on the topic of crosses, none of the crosses are in the air either. They're all low driven crosses, which is something I noticed too. We're really emphasizing like that front and back post run where they, we anticipate like a flick off the laces, you know, as opposed to forcing a guy to challenge in the air against a center back that's six or seven inches taller than him. Because again, like the same issue we had last year that's going to carry into this year is our size. And I think that's definitely something Pochettino's noticing. And the way that we're attacking is, is smart. Because, again, we're not playing those aerial balls. We're not asking our center forward to, you know, win seven out of nine aerial duels a match. We're playing the ball to feet. Yeah. We're keeping it low. And all the crosses are, are, are hard and driven low. So 
I think that's going to benefit us too, because especially in modern day football, that tends to be the cross of choice now, you know, that low whipped in ball, as opposed to, you know, the floated ball to the back post, for example. Yeah. The only, the only cross I can come to mind that was like floated into the back post with purpose was the Angelo to Sterling one at Wrexham where Sterling probably should have done better with that chance. And and at that Um, point, I think Angelo chose the right ball too. Like it wasn't a, you know, yeah, it, it, it was the right pass to me. So, yeah, so for sure, my point was there's a like I'm already seeing the ideas, right? The wingers start wide, but the closer we get to goal, they're getting closer and closer to the striker. The the number ten has the freedom to run past the striker. The the fullbacks are going forward immediately, and and they're interchanging as to who's going to be wider with the with the wingers, and it's just. In two weeks, so much was already put into their brain, and you can tell they absorbed it. And again, props to the the, the manager and, and Potch and, and his staff, but also props to these kids that are absorbing that information, some better than others, but still at, at 19, 20, 18, some 17, to, to get that across and to understand it at this, at this rate. I'm not saying it's perfect yet, but understand what they're supposed to be doing while also understanding when they can add a little bit of personality is is very very entertaining um i don't know guys before we kind of get into individual players is there anything else that you guys have have seen or noticed so far yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna go on a little mini rant here the first thing i noticed that's the biggest difference for me because i know i have a list in front of me for those of you uh that are listening. It says style, atmosphere, fitness, and squad. I'm going to focus on the fitness aspect because this is something that I've noticed um, right from the get-go against Wrexham and something that really hurt us last season was our match fitness just across the squad. You look at the amount of injuries, you look at the amount of players that came into the season unable to play a full 90, uh, so on and so forth. This time around, all indications, all reports coming out of uh, out of Pochettino's camp and out of the Chelsea camp is that the players are running a lot um the fitness tests are coming thick and fast i know ben chilwell has been one player that's specifically been singled out for excelling in those fitness tests um and it's really showing i mean looking at the way he's shuttling up and down the left hand side i mean granted it's only a 45 minute stint but high octane fast-paced football um you know played at 110 percent or 110 miles an hour rather in the preseason is impressive last season if you recall I don't even think did we even did we even win a pre one of our first two games because I remember we lost. I think we won one. We won against Copa America on like a Mason Mount last mm. minute outside the box shot. Like it wasn't. Yeah. None of our matches were anything to go home and like like we we drew Charlotte and beat them in penalties. Yep, which was ugly. We beat Club America barely, and then we got wrecked by Arsenal. Yeah, and and that's case in point. I think a lot of that goes down to match fitness. Obviously, it has to go down with the shitty scheduling of last season. And, you know, obviously now we know everything that happened with Tuchel behind the scenes. So you want to take that into account. But just generally speaking on the match fitness aspect of things, this is something that we know Pochettino was going to emphasize. This is something that he has been emphasizing so far. And, you know, he's lived up to his word. The guys look like they're in shape. Casade played a full 90 minutes in his first preseason game. And he didn't look like he and was Gallagher played a much. full 90 in the second game. Exactly. Yeah. And and granted, Gallagher is going to be your energy pack if he stays in the squad. But, you know, a guy like Casade that we've never seen before, a big boy like that, especially somebody that young coming in 
ready to play 90 minutes right off the, right off the bat. That's impressive. And I, I'm sure we can go down the rest of the squad and point out a bunch of other guys that could probably play a full 92. But just the way, just the way that we've been training and the fitness that we've been showing the first two games, the style, the atmosphere, the 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 the, the molding of the squad, all of that is going to come into place at some point because fitness is the foundation for it, right? We can't deploy the style we want of this high counter pressing style without being fit. We can't play against yeah. the Liverpool's, the Man City's. A possession-based style of football and not be fit. We can't play a counter-attacking style of football and not be fit. Like I could keep going down the list of all these reasons why teams need to be fit, but just go ahead and look at last season as the prime example. That's what happens when you walk into a season without any sort of fitness. And Pochettino's identified that right off the bat, and the guys are much better off for it. At least that's what it seems I so mean, far. Two games in, we always knew that if we didn't have a comfortable lead in the into the 62nd minute, it was curtains. And like you said, we have guys completing 90 minutes while doing this whole pressing system while covering a lot of yards. It's just different. It's just different. There's, it's not a static play style on the ball, and it's certainly not a static defensive play style either. So, yeah, props to them. The players have been very vocal about the fact that this preseason has been a lot of work, but they're, they're kind of uh, taking it in and, and understanding that this might be why we were so bad last year. We didn't do any of this hard work up front, but I kind of want to get into the squad. I, I think I it's time to give some of these guys their flowers and, and also kind of talk shit about our some performances because honestly, not everyone has been perfect, even though for the most part, I think we're going to be praising these guys. And I think it starts with the, the unknown 30, 35 million man and Nick Jackson at striker. I mean, holy shit. The guy's played 90 minutes. He's scored, like you said, a true striker's finish against Brighton. And he's also had three very good assists, all very different. And also to three different players. Players that, who he's never played with before up until these past two weeks. I mean, this guy drops deep. This guy's making the runs forward. We're still missing him on a couple of those runs. But this is... I don't know if we've had a complete striker like this, at least play style wise. I'm not saying he's the complete package. He's going to blow up this league, but what he wants to do for this team in such a long time. And Sam, I, I want to get your take on, on Nick Jackson. I love this guy. I love Nico Jackson. I, I pray we don't give him the number nine. <laughs> I don't want him to get cursed by the number nine, but in my heart, He's our number nine. Like, this guy looks so smooth with the ball. He looks really quick. Like, his touch, though, his, his assist, okay, like, all three assists, like you said, they're all different. The first one on Matson was, like, he, he, beat, he beat one defender, dribbled near another one, and then laid it off. And then the quick one-two... Two times with Mudrik, with the second one being like, like a like a side foot type of thing. That Ooh. was sexy, man. That oh. goal, I got up to take a piss, and I came back, and that was the first thing I saw immediately happened, and I just screamed like my <laughs> roommate, my dog, all freaking out, like what the fuck is happening? But. I haven't had a reaction like that to a goal in so long. I mean, obviously the fact that it was Mudrik's first goal for us, that was by itself enough reason to scream. 
But the goal, I mean, the shot was sexy, but the build-up to it is what made it, like, the goal of the preseason so far, for sure. That was amazing. And then, just like that last one to Cassaday, it was, like, just so smart, quick, like, quick feet to just get it around that defender. No, it wasn't, sorry, it was Cassaday... Like he he it was he had a, a shot blocked and then he when he passed to Gallagher, um yeah it yeah, was yeah. like quick feet get it off his feet get it around a defender right right to Gallagher so he can take the shot like it, it, the way like the way you said it was perfect it was three different assists and I'm so excited for what I mean maybe he's not going to be the goal scorer I mean the, the goal he scored against Brighton that's a striker's finish that's really nice. And I mean, I'd like to see more of that. But if it's if we're just going to rely on his playmaking alone, I, I'm so ready for it. And Kunku's going to love I mean, it. Exactly. We haven't even seen that yet. We haven't yeah. seen him and Kunku together. It's going to be sick. It's going to be amazing. I mean, Sam, you mentioned you know the guy doesn't even have to score goals to be productive. I mean, I think as a playmaker, he's looked ten times better than Kai has deployed at the nine. 100%. And um. And, and I mean, obviously, the finishing speaks for itself. That through ball from Kukurea was really nice, awkwardly enough, in a pivot position when he played that through ball. But that was you know, awesome too. Th- the ability to kind of stick it in the top corner at full speed with zero hesitation, it was a clinical finish. It was the second he scored that, yeah, I, I looked at my wife and I was like, that's that's a training ground goal. I mean, that's I something he's too. done. She's like, she's like, it's a really nice finish. I'm like, listen, he's probably done that a thousand times on a training pitch. I mean, I literally, yeah. You, it's yeah but going back to nico jackson really quickly the the most um impressive little bit of skill i saw from him so far was actually the gallagher assist i know with the matson assist you know his back is the goal it's a very complete move where you know he runs takes two or three defenders out of the game and lays it off but the the gallagher goal was interesting because it's instinctual it's purely instinctual he has a split second all right, I'm just going to do a quick over, dink it, you know, get the ball out from under my feet and get it to Gallagher. Um, you know, so just that alone gave me all of the confidence in the world that, you know, this is the guy that's going to be leading. And like, I know I touted Broja to sort of, you know, compete for that starting spot. I still expect him to. I'm not saying that, you know, he's not going to, but it's just a way bigger mountain to climb for Broja now that Nico Jackson has kind of showed out these first two games and really looked this good because this is a guy that played, what, 17 La Liga games last year, something around there. So he didn't even play a full season. Um, And the fact that he looked this seasoned already, like the guy looks like he's played three, four years in a top flight just based on the way he's moving and and, and the reads he's making on the fly. So I'm extremely excited about him. I, I, I fucking love him. And I think, you know, in terms of profiling him, it's a little too soon. I really want to see how he does in the Prem. But so far to me, he looks like your prototypical target, man. Like, yeah, he's not going to win every single aerial duel out there, but he loves to get the ball to feet. He's great at spinning defenders, playmaking, picking out the right passes. He knows when to dribble. He knows when to shoot. And in 1v1 situations, you're going to favor him 99% of the time. So the guy just has that full package that we really haven't seen since, and let's be honest, since Diego Costa, really. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. I don't think this is a target man situation because he's not Giroud, right? Giroud only wanted to play with his back to goal. 
Mm-hmm. And and you were talking about the the differences between him and Kai Havertz. I mean, this dude was holding a defender back while also having like a soft touch while laying someone off while immediately turning and going. Like there is not a moment where he's not getting ready for his next move. There's mm-hmm. not this like, oh, I passed it and I'll jog to my next position. And you can say, oh, it's preseason or, oh, he's just hungry to show it. No, like this dude knows what his role is, how he's going to get the most out of those around him. And again, he will probably, you're right, he might not be like, I think at this point, we don't know if Broja can do this because we've only seen Broja be the run-in behind guy and then bully his way into a box. So so we'll Mm -hmm. see. But it's going to be really exciting to see maybe by the time Fulham, not Fulham, Newcastle next weekend, we might see more of like what the first team is and see him surrounded by all the weapons rather than like bit parts here and there. But man, and Kunku, Mudrik, um, I haven't seen Sterling. We'll talk to him about him in a second. Noni, when he joins this side, these guys are going to love combining with him and, and mm. what that means for for their own chances in front of goal. Um, and again, the, the there was this fear that he's not good in the air. Well, the way we're playing, he doesn't. We don't need to rely on his height. We don't need to rely on his aerial threat because he's pulling those giant center backs out of their position and and opening that space in behind. And and we didn't even mention other people benefiting from it, but Chilwell has had so many runs where it feels like, how the fuck did he get so open? And it's all that movement that's happening in front of him. And he's just, he got caught once by Webster, but Chilwell could, ha- could have had two goals by now at this point. So it, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And, and I agree, Nico Jackson is the first name on the team sheet. I do not want to spend any big money on another striker. Let these guys battle, battle, uh, battle it out. And then in January, you can reassess. Again, I'm not saying this guy's going to break 20 goals or something like that in the Premier League, but so far, it just feels like a, like a glove. Like he fits exactly what our attackers need. And he's such a compliment to those three guys behind him. Speaking of which, we have to talk about the big money guy in Kunku. Been playing at striker this whole time. Um, I want to talk about their, the tens in general. Obviously, Nkunku right now has had to play striker because Bros is hurt and we got to get everybody runs and, and all that. He's got two goals already. And mm. again, two different type of goals. We talk about one that was earned through a buildup and, and all that. And then the one where he had maybe a millisecond to think about how he can get his foot on it and just cool as a cucumber, tapped it around the Brighton keeper and, and got us what? A, Got us back equalized like two minutes after they scored. Yeah. So I'm not worried about you know Kai and Mount left. Honestly, we we replaced two dudes with one. That's how I feel right now. It's early days, but he is direct. He is involved, and and he's 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 cold. Like this dude is confident. When he dribbled around the keeper at Wrexham, I'm like, our strikers might miss this. Like our old the strikers of old, the attackers of old do not coolly finish the way he did. And it's just, again, another breath of fresh air. This one a little bit more expected. But the thing that I wanted to bring up in, in terms of the cam is is who's going to be the one giving him a break? Because we've now seen Chukomeka play there. We've seen Gallagher play there. We've seen Cassidy play there. And if you guys ask me today, so far I've been impressed the most with Chukwameka in that 10 slash dropping deep to help the double pivot. And mm-hmm. 
he's also been very vocal about what Pacha's already done so far with him in terms of the preseason. And uh, Cassidy, Bruschetta Balak, I'm already calling it. This dude's going to be big soon. But I think right now, Chukwameka is still a level above him. And the difference between Chukwameka and Gallagher is that I feel like Chukwameka is composed. He, he knows what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to connect. It doesn't feel like he's receiving the ball and then figuring it out, which is my biggest complaint so far about Gallagher's preseason. What do you guys think? I, I, I'll chime in on this first. Sorry to jump ahead of you, Sam. But the, just quickly on the Chukwameka point, I fully agree with you, Andres. I think he's our backup 10 as of right now. Um, you know, just to, based on the way he was talking about, um, you know, his conversations with Poch and his vision, first thing he mentioned about Poch was that he sort of instilled the confidence in him that he can go out and, you know, legitimately challenge for that position with the talent that he has. And also that he can learn a lot from that position too, which is something that I think Chuck Omeka has been yearning for. You know, he hasn't really have a, had a manager since he came into the club who put his arm around him and kind of, you know, actually coached him, right? He was sort of a plug and play guy. He played the 10 last season. He played a little bit on the left wing. He played a little bit of center mid. He was kind of all over the place, never really had a lockdown position here. We're only seeing him play the 10 under a Pochettino system. And, you know, like you said, Andres, the, the, the composure is really what's showing more than anything. And it's not necessarily the composure in, in, in a broad sense. It's a composure specifically around the 18-yard box and penalty area. That nice little one-two that he had with, uh, with Ian Matson, he's attempted that about three or four times between the two games already. So he's always looking for that quick combination. When he releases the ball, he's immediately in motion, making a run, um, getting to his next position, knowing exactly what he's going to do with, you know, uh, with his next movement or with his next intention, which is very different from anybody else that we have in that position. Um, specifically, outside of you know the, the 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 ability to sort of stay composed and be neat and tidy around the eighteen. I noticed in the middle of the park, you know, he's picking up the ball and he's actually running at people now. You know, he's showing for the ball with his back to goal. He's spinning defenders and he's confident carrying it forward and advancing it into the attacking third if the pass isn't on. It just looks way more decisive. It looks way more fluid. He looks much quicker in transition as well, which is something that we haven't seen in him, you know, all of last season. I think last season you could pretty much compare him to Connor Gallagher, where not necessarily with a chicken with his head cut off, but like you said, when he received the ball last year, he didn't know what he was going to do with it. I don't think he was coached enough or confident enough. I mean, it could be a bunch of factors as to why that never happened. But coming into this season, it just looks like he's a completely reborn player. He looks motivated. He looks like he's actually been given direction. And he looks like he knows what he's supposed to do and what his role is in the team. So, yeah, he's my backup 10, man. I have absolutely no problem with him backing up in Kunku. And, you know, again, this is a guy that we signed last season as arguably our brightest prospect, you know, um, for what was it, 15 or 20 million to Aston Villa. There was a bunch of other clubs that were after his signature, too. So he kind of gets lost in all of this, you know, new signings and ingoings and outgoings. He's kind of the guy that doesn't get as much love as he really deserves. But I think this season he's finally going to get that. Um. Yeah, wait, are we, we, we're talking about Nkunku right now, right? In the, general? <laughs> Chukomeka. No, Chukomeka, sorry, I missed, uh, I missed Is the... Is he the backup 10 song? Yes, when Zach goes on these rants, sometimes I uh, zone out a little bit. <laughs> sorry, Zach. 
<laughs> no, but okay. The one thing uh, I kind of disagree with is you said that you were more impressed with Chukwameka than um, than the uh, what are we calling him Caesar? Brusch- no, uh, Bushetta Balak. Um, because I didn't even see much from Chukwameka. Honestly, like it, I didn't. I didn't think he played poorly. I just didn't see much that excited me, to be completely honest. And, like, if you're going to tell me he's going to be the backup 10, like, sure, maybe I'll buy that. Um, but, I don't know. Like, I, I can, I could see, I don't know. I, I was going to say Connor Gallagher play that role sometimes, maybe, but. Yeah. Maybe he it's- could. It's a role he could play, but but I mean, we're talking about being a fit in this specific system, and I think with the fluidity of that midfield three, you know, talking about the left and right cam along with the 10, I think Chukwameka's more suited to being in that role. Like, because, if, like if Nkunku needs a break, who are you going to put yeah, on? Chukwameka yeah, or Gallagher? Chukwameka. And yeah, I'm a I'll Gallagher probably, fanboy. Uh, yeah, and that's funny because <laughs> I'm I'm saying kind of the opposite, and we have a bet. Oh yeah, we haven't even we haven't mentioned this yet, but last year <laughs> me and Zach had a twenty dollar bet, where at the end of the season, based on Andreas's subjective opinion, whether Connor Gallinger had a quote unquote good season. Okay, like it's a very undefined care like you know qualification of like how we determine it it's just whatever andreas decide good season or not and last season i think anyone listening would probably agree with it andreas gave it a not good season and i'm now 20 dollars richer thanks to that but zach offered me a double or nothing offer for this season on whether connor gallagher will have a good season um and It'll we need be amazing to, at West Ham. I was gonna say, <laughs> does this need to be amazing season for Chelsea? As the I mean, as if, the judge, if he gets sold, what happens? The 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 bet is void, and you keep your twenty. I got my twenty. I got my yeah. 20. Yeah, you keep okay. your twenty. So okay. so now, Sam, so, so you're mentioning Cassidy, and by the way, I've been vindicated. It is Cesare. It is Cesare. Everyone, including Pacha, said it as Cesare. So, no, Anywho, for sure. We'll go into the we'll go into the rest of the center mid double pivot options, and we'll talk about Cassidy first. Here's here's my thought process on why I think he at this current moment, because again, if if the West Ham moves or or the Newcastle move or the Brighton move that keeps kind of floating around for Gallagher does happen, he stays in my book. But in the current double pivot options where he would most likely get the chunk of minutes. You've got Enzo, Andre Santos. You still have Gallagher. You still have Lewis Hall, who has been discussed, like is still in the roster. You have Cassidy. And on top of all those, we're going to get a center. Mid- it's We better get Caicedo, right? Like Caicedo has to happen still. Like we're not going to just jump out of that negotiation. And if it's, so- and if it's, not, and if it's not him, it'll be another one. Correct, and it would be a starter like level sign or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so the way I see it, 
Cassidy needs the move, and you're right, he's got bright moments. But I also think a lot of the basics are are just not quite there yet. There's a lot of like unprovoked misplaced passes, um, a lot of like bad tackling because he wasn't in the right place. So I think he's given us a lot of high, highlight real moments on the ball. And I love what I see. Like I, I'm, I'm not just throwing out Bruschetta Balak as like a, Oh, it just sounds funny. Like he's oh. getting in the box. He's a threat on a shot. He's like when he, he's kind of like, a, like a train, runs. like, yeah, he's like a train. Like he gets the ball, it starts slow. And then when he's in stride, it's like, good luck. So it's like, I'm dead serious when I say Bruschetta Balak soon. Like that, that level is the ceiling that he can get to. I mean, he won the golden ball in, in the, in the world, the U 20 world cup. And in this current Chelsea, I just think he won't get enough minutes and that will just slow down his progression, which is why I think he should be looking at a top five league loan. Um, if not like a top championship loan, uh, hopefully it's a prem one. Like yeah. I hope to God it's a prem one. And then we can reassess next year because another part of it is you always have to keep your English, like your UK quota and, and whether it's homegrown versus English passport, whatever. And right now Gallagher and Lewis Hall offer that. And maybe again, Lewis Hall with his flexibility, he can cover other positions while Cassidy is, is very much a central midfield player. Again, getting me off my seat plenty of times, but I think still he's just missing the the positioning, the easier things that he should be ironing out on a loan. I'm, I just want to add one thing on Casadei. I agree with you completely in terms of I think he does need a loan. Uh, if he stays, great. I still think he could contribute to the team right now. But right. getting him alone and getting him minutes is going to be paramount, especially at this point in his career. We've seen time and time again how many talented players not get minutes at this age for at least a season or two, and then all of a sudden their ceiling drops a couple levels. Um, with Casade, the one thing I will say is that it's extremely important to lock down a Premier League. I don't want to see him go yeah. to La Liga or Bundesliga or... I mean, last year he went to fucking I... League One. Reading. Yeah. Like, went to like, Reading. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, this season, it has to be a Premier League loan. I don't care if he's in a relegation battle. If he is even better, I want him to feel the pressure. Um but at the same time, you know, this is also a guy that I feel like we have to be very careful with his development as well. Um, because yeah. what you said, Andres, he only seems like a central midfield player at this point. So if we send him on a loan where he might be stuck in a position, not saying it did him an injustice, but like an ROC situation at Crystal Palace where he was stuck out as a exactly. right mid or a left mid, and all of a sudden he loses his identity quote-unquote identity as a player and become sort of a swiss army knife that's something we don't want with Casade because based on what we saw so far this guy looks like he can eventually become an elite pivot slash elite eight slash ten right box to box yeah exactly like we, we need him to 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 basically hone his craft mm -hmm. and, and and i think that's super important to to get right today this yeah i mean out of all the loans i would argue that this is probably the most important one right yeah and it's funny because like for me so like in in january when we bought these guys like or i forgot when did we buy them in january or was it yeah i think it was yeah it was. he was a january yeah. one so like like andreas he picked carney and he was like this is my guy chukwameka this is my guy 
Andrea, I mean, Zach, he's stuck with Connor Gallagher for some reason. For me, I was like, all right, fine. Castaday, that's my guy. Um, so I have like a, like a sentimental connection now with him because the day we got him, I was like, all right, I'm just going to make him my guy and root for him. After I mean, it was after I watched one YouTube video of him. Um, so I'm going to be very, very biased with all of my takes moving forward <laughs> on this guy. But um, like it, I think that it, to like be completely serious, like there was just so much to be excited about. Yes, he's raw, so it's like unfortunate, but. Zach, you're right. Probably best move is to loan him out this season, but I'm so happy. Like, I think this past week, I've just, like, been saying Cesare, Cesare, like, over and over again, because I just love that name now. Cesare. And I love him. Cesare. So sick. For Psalm's firstborn, Cesare, Bagger, Baggerzade. For sure. If I if I can convince my wife for Chesade, he will be just Well, moving on to uh, I'm just gonna say we don't need to talk about Enzo. Enzo is Enzo. He's goaded. Like yeah. obviously he, barely, he is he who he is. Too. Yeah. Andre Santos, the other guy we got in January. We tried actually signing him to bring him onto the first team in January. Visa situation kind of fucked that over. He was the player of the tournament for the Copa America sub U21. He also went back to the World Cup that Casade was a part of, scored goals there too. And now we see him quickly adapting to the holding double pivot player, back to goal a lot in the first phase, being the one putting in the hard tackles. And I just want to say, like, because I, I, how do I put this? I think a lot of people think that you can just slot players and do things like this super easily, but being the guy with back to goal is not something you want to be when the only people behind you is maybe one or two center backs. That is a very high pressure situation. And for Andre Santos to be doing that at, what is it, 19 years old, barely, maybe 18, at the, at the level he's doing it after two weeks of training is extremely impressive. To me, right now, he is the first name off the bench if a double pivot player needs a sub because I think he can do a good job of covering for again if we get Caicedo and I also think he could be the Enzo role I think he could be the guy that pushes forward a little bit and gets more involved in the attack again we see that he likes to score and get involved so you talk about some about the Chukwameka thing I I'm ride or die for this guy like yeah, I th- honestly, I think, I think that's a collective thing. We all, yeah, like Andre, Andre Santos, Santos is, our is our heart, man. In terms of the midfielders, I will, I will, I will go to battle for this kid. I'm already so bought in. All I needed to see was the ref blew the whistle early in the first half of the Wrexham match, and this kid got in his face immediately. That sort of bite, I just fucking love it, man. Yeah, in both matches, he was chirping at the ref, like. He's like an adult. Okay. I'm so like Nico Jackson. He was the player I was most excited for this season. But Andre Santos is the player that I am more most excited for, like moving forward in general. Career wise. Yes. Like 
what he was doing as the the deepest lying midfielder, just every time he gets the ball, he already knows what he wants to do with it. I, I don't want to even say this because it's just like such a sensationalist take, but it's like the way he plays reminds me of Yaya Torre, I think. Like he plays a lot like Yaya Torre. And he looks like, 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 and I think, like, his goal-scoring threat also is another thing that kind of is like Yaya as well. But, I don't know, I'm, I'm really excited about him moving forward. And, uh, Zach, I don't know if you, uh, that face was, you didn't agree with that take, or you didn't see the vision like I do? What did you I, think? I kind of see it. I mean, I, I definitely think a box-to-box role would suit him similarly to how Yaya Toure was deployed. But for me, it was more, I look at him as um, a more athletic, more progressive Jorginho with better defensive ability. Like he drops in between the two center backs and sort of creates that back three and he sort of kickstarts our our build-up play, but not necessarily in the sense that Jorginho did where Jorginho would just lay it off to Tiago or Reese or Chile. Those are literally his only options. Or it was give it to Kovacic and he'll pass it sideways for you. Whereas this time around, Andre Santos is receiving the ball and he's looking to break the line. That's the yeah, main man. thing that I'm those noticing with him. Passes, those splitting yeah. passes are... Woo! Yeah, and if you've ever... In a minute. And if you've ever played in like a center midfield position or, or if you've ever been that quote-unquote engine in a midfield... The most demoralizing thing that somebody can do to you is split you and break through your line. After you've busted your ass to, you know, press or close down, whatever it might be to keep your defensive shape. And, you know, if, if this guy, Andre Santos, is receiving the ball and with one touch is splitting your lines or breaking your lines, it's, it's demoralizing. And, um, you know, just that ability to sort of find that target man or that focal point, whether it was in Kunku when he was in or even Nico Jackson when he was in. It's sort of, uh, you know, that instinct to get them the ball immediately. It is pretty reminiscent of like a, a, dare I say, like a prime Sergio Busquets when he's feeding Messi. Like he's always looking to break the lines and play the ball forward, not play the ball sideways or play the ball back. Progressive, progressive, progressive. And that's what I love about him. He, he doesn't dwell on the ball either. Like when he receives it, he's not taking three or four touches, turning this way and seeing what's there, turning the other way and seeing what's there and then making a decision. It's very much one and two touch football he gets the ball out from under his feet and plays a pass immediately so there's there's no dwelling there's no allowing the defense to close you down or block off a certain passing lane he's so quick and so fluid that teams can't read what he's going to do next and that's probably what you're alluding to Sam, in terms of you know that 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 unpredictability he has as a player just knowing that he can kind of do a little bit of it all but for other teams specifically in their midfields I mean, they got to keep their lines tight when this guy is. Because, I mean, granted, w- w- when he's in, he's most likely going to be replacing Enzo. At least that's what I'm assuming. But it's very much a like-for-like like in terms of profile. Where he can split lines. He can make the killer pass. He loves a through ball. And he doesn't dwell on the ball either. But then when we lose possession, he's very comfortable dropping into that back three. Or even being that, you know, last line of midfield defense to break up play too. So... This guy can do a little bit of everything, and I'm really curious to see how he develops, not necessarily as a pivot, but I think genuinely long-term, I mean, we can see him develop into an 8 or possibly even a 10 with that playmate. So, Zach, I think you mentioned something about demoralizing. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm going to use that as a pivot here. 
<laughs> what must be demoralizing is what Lewis Hall's situation now becomes. Because yeah. here's where we're at. We have four left backs if you want to put them in the left back camp. And I just mentioned for a double pivot, we have one, two, three, four, five, six names if you want to throw Chukomeka in there as a, somebody that could play in that spot. And I haven't even added Caicedo to that list of six names. Lewis Hall has been playing in, in the double pivot. I think he's got the least amount of minutes out of all the names I've said so far. I think he's got a total of like 60 minutes. He's the youngest. So to, to, that's the one thing he has to his advantage at this point. But with the arrival of Ian Matson, uh, the fact that Kukureya is, is here and, and it sounds like he's going to be staying uh, based on his pre-match presser against Wrexham. I think it's time to find a good loan for Lewis Hall. And to me, I think it's time to find him a good loan at center mid. Time to to once again find a guy, a, a place for him to hone his skills and hone what he's supposed to be, which is that left-sided box-to-box midfielder. I I'm not saying this because he's been bad by any means. I just think that it is now a crowded position wherever he wants to fit in. I think last year he showed that he can be a Premier League player. And at 18, it's crazy that he went to his second position and did as well as he did. But as of right now, without Europe, without a second, you know, big competition, I I think we need to find a good loan for Lewis Hall. Thoughts? I don't really have any to add. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, um, especially if Motson stays. There's really no place I see him playing, um, especially if we p- continue with that double pivot. I mean, we're already four deep in that position as is. So, yeah. I mean, assuming it, unless our Saudi Saito, overlords we're, we're four deep <laughs> in that position. As a, unless our Saudi overlords somehow convince Kukurea to move to, to Saudi for a shit ton of money, I just don't see it happening. Right? Come get him. Like, <laughs> Um. Yeah, I for for the best. He's 18 again. It's crazy that our center mid kind of group is actually part of the youngest in the whole team. But you never know what can happen between now and then. I, again, we don't know the future of Gallagher. Even so, even with moving Gallagher, I still think he should be loaned as as a center mid. But um, I, I want to kind of get into our our winger position because that's another crowded group. Um, and, and I, I have it listed split between left wing and right wing at left wing. We are, I think it's a little bit more concrete. You have Sterling and Mudrick and right now Matson has been playing left wing and, and I think that's more to get Matson minutes and then he's going to be like an, in case of emergency, break the glass at left wing, right wing is where I think we need to discuss a little bit more. Um, I think I can speak on behalf of all of us. We hope that Mudrick benches Sterling the way the preseason's been going. I think the less we say about Sterling, the better. Yes. I hope to God he starts versus Liverpool later in August. Um, Mudrick, that is. Hold on. Just let's completely get that thought out of our minds because it's not going to happen. Sterling's going to start week one. We know that. It's going to happen. Really? You think so? Okay. It's just established. Like seniority, like yeah, I, I think it's it's inevitable. Like we we can hope and pray okay. that that's going to happen, but I'm I'm yeah, it's not going. Okay, fair. I I I can concede to that, but 
I think we also hope that by the time December rolls around, we're seeing more yes. Mudrick than Sterling. Okay. That that I now, can see happening. Now the right wing, right wing. I want to talk a little bit more because it's not just the, who we have now, but what's in the in the rumor mill right now is three names that are being thrown in for for right wing. We'll get to those in a little bit. But right now it's Noni, who we Madueke, who we haven't seen play yet. He had a good U twenty one Euros, hasn't been playing. Sterling has played in the right wing as well. Invisible. We've discussed that. Uh, Diego Moreira played in the first match for a little bit at right wing. And he looks he looks like he's only played academy level football. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't think he's he's trash by any means. I just think he's a couple steps slower than everyone around him. I think I can again speak on all of us that he needs to be loaned. But then the surprise, this might truly be the surprise of the preseason. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Angelo, who, like Sam was saying, was one of those kindergarten signings that we were like, who the fuck is this guy? Cue the, the fucking what's-his-name meme. Uh, uh, notorious fucking MMA fighter. Cue that soundbite if we had an editor. Yeah, if we had an editor, I would put that soundbite right there. But anywho, <laughs> this Angelo kid has completely taken over the show, I feel like. I'm, I did not expect this teenager to be so damn composed. Just, I, I don't know if he's lost the ball more than like five times in the two matches that he's played so far. And it yeah. just feels, it's that just Joga Bonito drifts inside. He, there was one specific run of play where he started in our own half on the right like sideline and he ended up to the left of our number nine completely on the opposite side and he did like three one twos to get there and and i don't know if you guys notice this thing where he does these like hesitation mini steps that you see mm. a lot with your with your south american players specifically Messi loves to do those and they just like buy him an extra second or two to find the right pass because he's he is very one-footed at this point but god man I, I don't know what what else I can say about this kid. I'm bummed. I'm honestly bummed that we're linked to another right winger because I want to keep him so bad. But he's off to Strasbourg, it sounds like. The, the CEO of Strasbourg has basically said this was always part of the plan, that he would get to Chelsea, spend the preseason there, and, and, and then join the squad later on. But man, <sighs> Zach, what, what do you, what do you want to add to that? I think he's going to bang in league one he is ready dude i for for being an 18 year old that level of i almost want to say arrogance it reminds me of like a neymar at that age too where you know he's just kind of attempting these things and doing these things where you're just like the fuck this guy's 18 how's he doing that that one move he had where there was maybe like three or four one touch passes from him um i believe it was nico jackson that he laid it off to where it was a didn't have a very good touch on the bond and that play broke down. I mean, that would have been goal of the season. I don't care what happens for the next 38 Premier League <laughs> games. That's that's the goal of the season. But no, I look, it's very important just like to look at Angelo's situation similarly to the Casa one, right? If we keep him, can he contribute? Sure. But that's not the question to be asking with him. Because like, again, playing time with guys this age, especially an 18-year-old, more than anything, becomes paramount. So 
you know, going to Liga, playing, starting every game, I'm assuming that's probably going to be the case. Um, I expect him to bang. And the fact that we're linked to other right wingers isn't necessarily a bad thing to me. I mean, I know we're going to get into who those people are specifically, but there's two of them specifically that aren't necessarily right wingers by trait, right? Like they can sort of slot into other positions, which wouldn't necessarily block Angelo's pathway should he bang in Ligue 1 and come back next season. So I'm not too down on the transfer rumors. I think that they present good opportunities to buy great players at bargain prices. But in, in regards to Angelo, yeah, it, it, it really just comes down to playing time. The guy needs to play as many minutes as possible in as little time as possible. And the best way to do that, unfortunately, is sending him off to Strasbourg. You, you can't keep him when he's not going to get first team minutes when the guy has already over 100 senior caps at 18. If he's going to continue this like meteoric rise that he's on a path on, he has to continue getting that level of minutes. Um, without slowing him down. He can't just mm-hmm. suddenly be a guy that comes off the bench and maybe plays once every three weeks, once every two weeks. Or at the same time, you can't send him back to Cobham and fuck up some kids because he's been playing men for four years. And we're talking about the Brazilian league. Like These dudes are going to clobber you in a tackle. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm bummed. I, wanted to, I would love to see him stay, but we can't have a bunch of young guys and, and 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 that's it. Zero Premier League experience, zero Premier uh, European experience in general. Sam, is there anything you want to add on Angelo? Uh, yeah, it's okay, guys. Patience. Like he's still yeah. our player. I, I feel the same exact way. Like I want him. I want him to play right now, but it, it, he's still our player. He'll he'll be back. Yeah. Um. He 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 also had that quote after the match with Santos, oh, yeah. where he talked about like. This is Chelsea. We want to be here to win now, and and God willing, I'll be given the chance to like be part of the success or something like that. I was like, yes, dude, give me That's more mentality, man. South Americans, yeah. That we 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 touched on this before, but all these players, all the players, have this new mentality. Like they just got here, and last year was complete garbage. But all the new guys, all these young guys, know that last year, erase it. Chelsea has to win now. Like, and I know we're not going to win the league, but they understand the pressure that's on their shoulders. Even though he's going to be gone for a year, like you said, he knows his big aim is to come back and contribute here. And and you just love to see that. Um, Can we, can we, we just like glanced over Ian Motson. I don't think we've had. We're going to go. I was going to get to him next. He was going to be the very next name I was going to say, because I have him listed as a left back. Because that's where I think he'll be playing most of his minutes. <laughs> Let's talk and, about and him as, as a left winger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, that just goes to show what Cobham can do. And, and I wanted to give props, like, the, the credit where credit's due. He played left back at Cobham. He played right wing while he was at Charlton uh, in that loan, even though he was initially brought in as a left back. He's played left wing back for Burnley uh, under company. And... Wherever he goes, and I'm one of the people that has said this time and time again, the thing that's been discussed is his size. But talking about him at left wing, um, the way he interchanges naturally with Chilwell, because he's truly a left back, just brings so much coverage, flexibility, and balance to that left side. If if Chilwell wants to bomb forward, guess what? 
we have a natural left back covering for him. And that's such a like, bonus in, in that sense. Um, I think he's been fantastic at left wing. I, I don't think he... he it, it's weird to see a left back not named Chilwell be so comfortable in the final third after seeing Kukurea have like an aneurysm the moment he <laughs> stepped foot in the final third. And, and what you just said is exactly the reason why I said let's talk about him at left wing because having him and Chilwell out there at the same time I saw some stuff. I don't know if I ever have seen that kind of play style on a soccer pitch before, honestly. Um, With, like, the left back pushing up, like, making a lot of inverted runs, honestly, and allowing, like, having the confidence that the guy who's playing left wing can track back and cover for him. It's It was really, really interesting to see. And I'm so comfortable... And I'm like, I like, we have Kukurea still, and I think we're going to talk about him a little bit, but his performance in this preseason has given me more confidence that he can definitely be our backup left back and like, you know, we'll be fine with him. So like, if we, if we do decide to hold on to Matson this year, and I think we will, like, I expect to see him play more often as a left winger than as a left back for that exact reason, because it just allows Ben Chilwell the freedom to play more of an attacking role. And, you know, we, we still, we still are going to need contributions from other positions because we said Nico Jackson's the guy probably, and we don't know how many goals he's going to be able to put up. So we need contributions from every position I'm not seeing too many goals coming from our wingers right now. So we need Ben Chilwell to 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 contribute. <laughs> and um I think it really allows him to do that. I mean obvi- I mean that all that aside, I mean the first the first match he he got a fucking double. Like yeah, two really nice finishes. He almost had another goal um Yesterday. The ref didn't blow the whistle at the end of the first half. That the too. Yeah, yeah, another chance we too. had a counter attack where he could have gotten. Yeah, and so I was really, really impressed, dude. I'm t- I'm telling you, this whole podcast, I'm just going to be talking about how fucking impressed I was <laughs> and excited we're, about. We're we're scratch CD. Kid. Every yeah. kid. I was so happy with, and it's just like giving me so much confidence with the team moving forward. I, I'm, and, I'm and legitimately I, I, a fan of the entire squad for the most part. Yeah, like the only person, the only play. player I don't like is Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling. <laughs> and, and I've been and I've been on that train since yeah, day you, one. Since we I'm, signed yeah. him, yeah. I yeah, haven't changed it my my tone one bit. So it's not so. Yeah. The, the, yeah, don't um, come after some. I'm, yeah, I'm with you, you can guys. burn Zach and I in the stake. Yeah, you know that's I got that one wrong. And, no, you know, guys, come on, join the here's, club. Here's the sad yeah. part. Here's the sad part with Sterling. You know, the guy supposedly changed his diet. I'm using my air quotes for people. See, well, nobody can see, but I'm using my air quotes. And really, what that means is that he's just eating less. And for a professional <laughs> footballer to just come out and say that, like, yeah, I'm on a diet. Okay, well, what are you doing? Keto low carb are you eating more fats are you you know uh decreasing your calories are you intermittent fasting are you this are you that no i'm just eating less 
okay. And it hasn't done shit because the way he's looked at these first two preseason games, it's been pretty sad. Um, he did have an assist, so we'll give him a little bit. Of he did have an assist, yeah. Sure, did he? But Sterling? But, yeah, but, in the like, first match. No, to Sterling who? in the first match. Didn't he? No. Okay, it's... go ahead. Sorry. But anyways, like the, all the things that yeah, he did. He Sterling... assisted. He assisted Gallagher's goal. Um, he did. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you give him that, but granted, you know, the rest of the time he was on the pitch, he was frustrating. I mean, all the things that seemed to make Raheem Sterling great when he was, you know, starting to come up at Liverpool, and then eventually when he went to Man City and became, you know, a double-digit goal scorer at Man City, it's his ability to run at defenders with the ball and find himself in the box, in the right place at the right time. The timing of his runs, and we haven't seen either of those. And I think something that's gonna be looked at more deeply, especially as we record later on in the season, is Raheem Sterling role in this Raheem Sterling's role in this team and what's being asked of him from Pochettino. Because all of the things Poch is asking him to do, Sterling is terrible at. Counterpressing, being physical, winning the ball back in the in the attacking third, and doing the hard yards. Those are all things that he's never ever been synonymous with. I think guys like Mudrik, Madueke, I mean Angelo if he stays those guys are young enough, even Motson, to the point where they can be coached to come back or coached to be in this position when we lose the ball or coached to, you know, counterpress at the right places at the right times. And Sterling just doesn't seem to be interested in doing any of that. It very much feels like we have a player past his best who thinks that he still has so much to contribute. And, and he just, his demeanor just kind of comes off as, a luxury player really it doesn't seem like somebody that's going to be contributing for the entirety of the season for us to to me it just feels like to to give like a high school comparison the senior that was on the team last year that thinks because he's a senior he's going to start yeah. i don't see him showing us that all the things he's saying because he's saying oh we finally have the manager oh the style is going to be great how can you be the 300 thousand salary player and be so invisible like here's here's what like drives me crazy potch put him on the left against Wrexham. nothing happened so what did potch do i'm gonna try you on the right next match against brighton and see what happens and mind you he was lined up against pascal gross not a left back by nature and he was still not giving us the marquee attacker I'm going to be the starter sort of performance that we should be seeing. And that's the frustrating part. And yes, you can say it's preseason, whatever, but I don't think it bodes well for him that everyone around him is working so hard and, and putting in the, the hard work and energy that will translate to what you do on the pitch match week one and so on and so forth. So it, it, it's, it's still crazy that Sterling is just not showing it, but Enough about him because we got a we got a another crowded group to talk about and and with Fofana getting hurt and and tearing his ACL and needing reconstruction surgery, our center back crew is is looking like a little bit different than we thought it would. We thought it was going to be Fofana, Thiago Silva, Colwell, Badia Shield, and maybe Chalaba would be one of those where 
it's one way or another whether he's if he stays he's gonna have to play maybe dm versus he might have to go out on a loan um and get minutes elsewhere because potch wants four center backs and, and i want to start with chalaba on this because he's looked composed in the back four so far when playing at center back not right back I, I think that the, the second half against Brighton wasn't the greatest, but um, yeah, I thought Chalaba so far has sort of cemented that we don't need to go out and spend 80 million on a center back this summer. Um, Sam, what, what do you think? I mean, we know body shield will come back. We know that Fofana is not someone we'll see this year. And, and Tiago Silva honestly is probably going to be not as, we shouldn't depend on him as much as we used to. So what do you think about Chalaba competing with Thiago Silva at this point to, to start? Oh, no. Uh, for the time, I mean, for a temporary solution. Uh, again, this, we're talking this season alone. You're saying like he's going to take over his role as the number one keeper. I mean, sorry, number one center back on that side. Number. So I'm thinking in a perfect world, we probably will see Colwell and Body Shield start together. Yeah, hopefully. Like when everyone's healthy. But match week one, again, I'm going to put that as as the 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 short term finish line. We have Colwell, Thiago Silva, and Chalaba going into Liverpool. There's no way. There's no way Chalaba challenges Thiago Silva as starting day one. No way. Like like cool. Like so? he looked. He's looked good. He's looked better than he did last year. But right now, I think his... No, I, would, I was going to say his primary role is backup right back, but we have, we're going to talk a little bit about Mucho Gusto, um, who's <laughs> probably going to be our, our the backup right back. But I, think there's, I don't think there's a shot. I mean, Thiago Silva's probably going to be our captain next year. He's not. He's not gonna start off off the bench. I, I, I think Chalaba is not gonna take a spot. I think the preferred uh, center back partnership going into Liverpool. I think everybody would agree. Thiago Silva, Colwell. I, I yeah. think. I think Colwell especially is gonna be the guy to benefit the most playing next to Thiago Silva because he already has a lot of the same. Um, characteristics as him you know he's very calm on the ball he's able to pick out a pass composure beyond his years um you know he reads the game really well but there's a couple things that i think he still needs to iron out in his game i know in the u21 uh final he he um he i forgot who he fouled but you know he gave the other team a penalty same thing happened here yeah. against brighton where yeah. he needlessly kind of went into that tackle i think you pass that guy off the Kukurea. Kukurea was still in front of him. He doesn't go anywhere, you know, um, if he doesn't make that tackle. So again, it's it's those little rash things that are those um that you're gonna see with young players. That's gonna happen regardless. But playing next to a guy like Tiago Silva, those little rash instances will disappear a lot quicker because Tiago Silva's gonna snuff them out and and you know teach his way, you know, through it. So I think at least this season playing Colwell and Thiago Silva as much uh, together as much as possible is going to be key. Obviously taking Thiago Silva's age into consideration is going to be crucial as well, but you know just based on profile and 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 how to develop Colwell in the right way, 
Clearly, he's our best young center back that's healthy at the moment. Body of Shield, I'm fully expecting him to compete with that spot, but he does need to play next to Thiago Silva to sort of maximize that progression as a player this season. That's that's something that I feel 100% on, you know? See, I'm, I'm in the camp that, that I feel like I don't want to depend on Thiago Silva. I thought that, and again, small sample size, but I think his... Mm-hmm his age in terms of athleticism is showing lack thereof. Yeah. And and just that, that bit, I think in this system, we don't want to see Tiago Silva super frequently. I think to Sam's point, match week one, Liverpool, sure, because we have the injury situation, but I don't think you need Tiago Silva next to Levi to throughout the majority of the season. I, again, I truly think, Colwell Body Shield will be the partnership this year. Like Body Shield was playing right center back in Monaco, and I get it. Two left footed center backs. And recently in, in modern football, it's like, okay, you need one and one passing angles, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Cahill and but, Terry but were but both right footed. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and again, I think I think at this point, Man City's playing with two left sided, like left footed, one right footed and a three back. So it's like I, I, I'm gonna say like y'all are it's not that hard cut you can't do it i think levi stays on the left because he is the more long-range passer but to me i think this is the final year of tiago silva being a a key not even key i think this is going to be similar to uh frank lampard season one aspie to reese james transition where we will see less and less and less of tiago silva to where it'll almost be a surprise that tiago silva is going to start a match and that's not a dig at Tiago Silva. If anything, it's like, let him ride into the sunset. Like he already said, he's trying to go back to Brazil. If it wasn't for his kid loving London, he would have been already at, what is it, Flamingo? I can't remember which club it is that he played a lot growing up. But he wants to go back. He's ready to, to, to call it a career almost. So my, my point, I guess, was that maybe under Poch's Training, I think Chalaba can develop into a guy that we see beyond this season as a as a core member of the center back crew. I don't okay, know if he'll I, be I better than Fofana. I think that I was quick to say Chalaba has no future in a back four, but I think I'm now trusting this coaching staff a lot more as to what they can get across to these players. Chalaba benefiting the most now in, in, in terms of how he can adapt to a back four. I guess that's what I was trying to truly drive home here. I can see that too. Yeah. Uh, the the last one that I'll mention, I think again we all agree, Bashir Humphreys. Give him another loan. I think he looked a lot better after coming in and, and having to start against Man City for us, and then going on loan to Germany. You can tell he's improved a lot. I still think he needs to go out on loan. I don't think that he'll be <laughs> upset by that. Um, so. Again, thanks to him for, for covering right now while we get our, our center back injury situation covered. He's done well for himself, especially the Wrexham match. He didn't put a foot wrong. Um, and then the last position, right back, Reese James is Reese James. He just flew back to the States. It's not a knee thing. He was sick. He's been practicing. He's ready to go. Poch even said he's ready to go. Um, but the guy we've gotten to see a lot of this preseason is Malo Gusto. And Again, he is a 19-year-old. He was trying to break into the Leon first team. We have to keep in mind that he's still very raw. 
But for once, we have a like-for-like profile coming in for Reese James when Reese James needs a break or, Lord forbid, Reese James gets hurt. And the early signs show promise for Malo Gusto so far. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. 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 I, I like I, that. Go, go ahead. No, you go. No, I mean, I, I was I was critical of his 1v1 defending a little bit against Wrexham in the early parts of the uh, of the Brighton game. But, you know, the, across the full 90 minutes, he kind of came into his own towards the end of the or towards the middle of the first half of that Brighton match. And really started to play well, honestly. I, I think the things I noticed mostly with him is his transitioning from defense to attack positionally. He's very, very smart. Um, when he gets the ball, he's very tidy with it. He's not shitting away possession like Aspiewood or forcing passes or through balls that aren't necessarily there. He's very comfortable with the ball at his feet and advancing possession. Um, if a pass isn't on, he'll carry it forward. You know, again, it's the same sort of compliment that I gave to a guy like Casade, where he just feels really comfortable on the ball. Um, and, and, you know, whether the pass is on or not, he's going to do something with it. Defensively, um, I think positionally, he's okay. Obviously, he's still very young. That could be coached. Not a concern of mine whatsoever. Um, a little bit of the 1v1 defending concerned me in the early going. Um, it was mainly just because of his size. He seemed to get pushed off the ball a little bit too easily. But again, I mean, a 19-year-old right back coming from a league that has no physicality whatsoever to a league like the Premier League, where every single week you're going to get banged at least five or six times really hard by a guy that's 6'5". That sounded terrible. You guys know <laughs> what I mean. You're going to get clobbered into by a guy that's 6'5", three or four times a match. Mm. I, you know, I think I think banged into was probably a better word. It banged by, I said. Banged by. Okay. Specifically banged by. Banged by um, sounds worse, yeah. No, I'm losing my train of thought here. But, <laughs> but long story short, with Malo Gusto, I think the signs are there. I, I, I could totally see why Chelsea bought him in the first place. Um, you know, he is much better than your average 19-year-old right back, and I think his ceiling is incredibly high. So I'm excited to keep seeing him play. I, I think as a guy that we're going to see in bit parts for most of the season, he'll definitely start the cup matches, but um, at least in the earlier rounds. Um, but for the most part, we're going to see Reese playing 70, 80, maybe, you know, 15, 20-minute cameos of Malagusto here and there, at least yeah. for the season. I think the time where he really shines is when we get back into Europe and he can, you know, start 15 to 20 games a season. Then we'll really start to see what kind of player we have on our hands. But at least for now, if we're talking strictly in terms of backup right back, I'm 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 pretty comfortable with him. I I, I like what I've seen so far for the most. Part. I'll agree with the what you said about how at first he looked a little shaky, but he really grew into it and gave me a lot of confidence. Like I I think I like I'm confident with him being our backup right back option. Like playing however many minutes a season it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, let's be let's let's call a spade a spade. I mean, Reese's injury history has not been great. And yeah. if he he is apparently supposed to be the biggest talent at right back across Europe, you never know what can happen with the guy. Uh, I'm just glad that he's the one that's kind of like waiting for his chance behind Reese James rather than everything we've done in the last few seasons mm -hmm. um now we, we want to move on to some transfer rumors I, i'm kind of going to go through this first one pretty quickly because it's not going to impact our first team just yet um so chelsea's closing in on signing uh lee gun striker 
and I'm probably butchering this, Eli Wahi. He's a French under-21, scored 19 goals in Ligue 1 for Montpellier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the plan is, is pretty simple. Sign him, send him to Strasbourg for a year. Uh, it'll be close to 40 mil. Uh, the, the big thing from him, I'm not going to pretend that I know much of him. Scoring 19 league goals is pretty good. Did you say for 40 mil? 4-0? Yes. That's the... Mm-hmm. That's, Holy yeah. shit. So, okay. I'll, t- so I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why, so I'm sorry to cut you off, Andres, but he was like the only player to score 20 league on goals before, 20, before the age of 20. The only other guy was Kylian Mbappe. So he's in pretty exclusive. He's, he's supposed to have like a pretty high ceiling. Yeah. The, the, yeah. And the thing I was going to say is I'm not going to pretend that I've watched his highlights. I haven't even gotten around to that, but I, I really rate CFC central's posts. And he's talking about how signing this guy today is, is saving us the hundred million that we could potentially spend on someone like Kolo Muani. Mm-hmm. So if that's the level of it, I'm all for it. Worst case scenario, he stays at Strasbourg and then we sell him for a bit of small profit to another league on team. I don't have a lot of stake on this guy, honestly. The way I see it is we're helping out our little brother club. He may turn out to be a massive baller. He scored 19, and I'm pretty sure most of those were non-pen goals, which was the big key thing. I don't think he took penalties as a, as a first choice for Montpellier. But the big one that the big thing we need to discuss right now is the, the the three names that are being thrown around the past 10 days, especially the last 48 hours, in terms of right wing slash attacking mid options. And those are Ryan Cherky, who we've discussed a few times now, the Leon uh, attacking mid that can also go on the wing. Mohamed um, Kudus out of Ajax, who is another attacking mid slash right wing hybrid. And then the one that came completely out of nowhere today was the Michael Olise rumors out of um crystal palace and the big thing is that we've agreed personal terms with all three of these players we have not put in a bid formally for Cherky or kudus but we've apparently put in a 45 million bid for olise hoping that because we're paying over the release clause we can secure him um instead of having to pay it all up front which is what a release clause causes you to do now out of these three, who should Chelsea prioritize is the big question. And, and I kind of want to start here. I think because you add Kudus and Olise to the list, I do not think Ryan Cherkey is the move at all anymore, personally speaking. I think that Ryan Cherkey being 18 is the one guy that directly blocks Angelo's future at Chelsea. And yes, I'm going off of two preseason matches. But I'd rather roll the dice on the guy we already paid for than pay almost $50 million for essentially someone that's now going to make Angelo excess goods. Uh, the other big part about it all is that Kudus and Olise can play Cam. They can also play as an eight in a midfield three, meaning that if we're putting them in, that maybe they grow into a different role. Uh, that would would allow us to bring Angelo back into the fold. And Kudus can actually even play false nine. So with Nick Jackson and Broja being the two strikers, I think Kudus be, would be option three or option four behind Nkunku if we, if we get that desperate, which I think adds a little bit of value to him. My personal opinion is we need to go in for Michael Olise. 
that's the guy that excites me. I know he's currently injured because he got hurt in the U21 uh, Euros. But that guy is a set-piece threat. He is extremely flexible, deeper on the pitch as well as up front. He's my top choice. Uh, we've seen him do it in the Premier League with a average Crystal Palace side. He just fits the bill for me. I'll and, open the uh, floor. And uh, Chelsea youth product, right? He, he was in Chelsea's academy for a little bit. He left when he was 15, but yeah. Yeah, he left early, early. So, you know, I think that that has to play a little bit into, like, you know, our desire to bring him back. But um, I, for me, I watched, like, a decent amount of Crystal Palace last year. And I, like, I, I wasn't blown away. Like, I think I was, like... I, I kept this close eye on him because I was kind of shocked that he was given the number 10 at Crystal Palace. And I was like, all right, let's see what this kid's got. And he did have a lot of exciting signs, but um, he's still also very raw. I mean, he's the only player of, you know, I mean, kudos we saw a little bit in the World Cup. Um, Turkey, he did I well in the Champions League. He scored a few Champions yeah, League goals. Yeah, he did. He played well in the Champions League too. Turkey, I don't know anything about. So, um, I think if we were going to pick one, um, it's probably Olise. I think out of those three, I would be down for, but I think to be completely honest, what's more likely is that we get, I think we can get two of these deals done. Like, I think we can bring in Olise and either Cherky or, um, Kudos. I think Turkey would probably be a little bit less redundant, but also, like you said, it kind of blocks uh, Angelo's path a little bit, which I'm not 100% fan of. So, I don't know. I think, I think the Zwahi deal is going to happen. I think Olise is probably very likely, and then one of the other two. That's uh, pretty bold of me to predict, but I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I do want to say that Turkey Turkey would probably not be as interested in a move if we signed one of Kudus and Elise because his whole thing is that he's trying to like get first team minutes. Yeah. And and even though he's 18, he has far less senior caps than not just Kudus and Elise, but even Angelo at this point, which is wild to think about. Um, I think I fuck off then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing the thing that's crazy to me and, and to go back to our right wing position is that now we're we're really harboring a lot of young talent. Like Noni is 21 or 22, and I'm pretty sure the oldest of this bunch is Kudus at 22, Elise's 21, Angelo's 18. It's like the squad planning. I understand that we're always going for young guys and all that. Um, the squad planning is a little worrying to me when we're stockpiling this many guys. So Olise and Kudos being a little bit more flexible helps them. You guys know that I love the 4-3-3. So obviously for me, it's like, okay, less, less cooks in the right wing. They can play maybe as an attacking eight. But that's my one, like, in the back of my mind concern of this um, these deals. Although I do think we need one more right winger because I just simply don't trust Sterling yeah. <laughs> to, to 
to be cover for both sides. I, I think the more expensive uh, Turkey, I'm with you guys on the Turkey front. I think um, I think the ship has sailed on that one. If Elise and Kudus genuinely are interested in moving, their clubs genuinely are interested in selling. Um, I think out of those two, Kudus is probably going to be the most expensive long term. Um, I th- you know Ajax's president has already begged him to stay. They've already let multiple first team players leave. So they're not yeah. going to necessarily let Kudus walk on a good faith agreement. They're going to wait for an offer that they can't refuse. Um, that's really the only way I could see him leaving Ajax. Um, the, on the Olise front, I love the signing. I, I woke up this morning, that was the first tweet I saw, and um, and I was hyped. Because when this guy played against us last season, I believe it was in January, it was right after the New Year, cooked them. All I could remember is him cooking, running at defenders. Uh, he had the assist for uh, Eduard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, beating players in 1v1 situations. Andres mentioned it in something I was going to touch on as well. The fact that we lost Mason Mount means that we did lose somebody that takes set pieces. And this is a guy that could come in with a left foot, present you know a different option for set pieces, different angles for shots on goals, different angles for crosses, so on and so forth. But the guy has Premier League experience. You know, Sam, I know you said you watched a lot of Crystal Palace last season and wasn't necessarily blown away by him. I don't think Crystal Palace blew any of us away by any stretch, but it was clear to me at least that Olise was their best player across the entire season. I know he led the team in assists as well. A lot of those did come from those set-piece deliveries like Andres mentioned, but to put up eight assists in a Crystal Palace team that generally struggled to score and create last season, it's pretty fucking impressive. I mean... I'll, I'll take that as, as good as a double-digit season in a top-six club, if you ask me, just based on how poor Palace was. So I love the idea of signing him and bringing him in. Um, my one concern with bringing him in is what the hell happens with Raheem Sterling? Because if we're going to bring Olise in just to kind of add him to the list of attackers we have, then he's not necessarily going to play much. And at that point, does it really make sense to spend $45 million plus bonuses on the guy? If we're able to sort of move Sterling out and get some of that transfer fee back and possibly cycle in a guy like Olise, then great. But I just need to know what the plan is after we sign. Like, what are we really doing with our wing- with our wingers here? You know, are we going to keep Sterling? Yeah. Are we expecting to use, you know, Mudrik and Madueke as much as we want to use him? All these questions still need to be answered. So I-, I guess I need a little bit more clarity to feel um comfortable with his position if he were to make the move but in terms of making the move in general the player himself i'm a huge huge fan and i think he is chelsea quality between all of us he definitely is chelsea quality he could come in and this is a guy that can not necessarily in the same breath as in kunku but you know with the premier league experience you could expect a guy like him to come in and be productive his first season so yeah with that being said i just like the idea of competition because right yeah. now truly it's just noni right and and i yeah. had this conversation with with our friend bobby and he basically said like out of our wingers today that we have noni probably has the highest floor like when when they're at their worst noni is probably still the best of our wingers yeah but bringing someone like a michael olisa there might be a higher ceiling there and yes. and that's no mm. dig at noni because noni's still an unfinished product. But 
maybe he rises to the occasion and then he brings his game to another level. Like mm-hmm. Noni's not he's not also used to playing every minute of a season. He used to get injured a lot. So maybe this is a best of both world situation like, where maybe this pushes him to the next level, but also mm-hmm. keeps him from tearing that hammy or or rolling that ankle, whatever it is that, that yeah. has kept him out for so long. I mean, something I haven't even mentioned yet is the fact that he's left-footed. Um, and, you know, within the squad, if, if we're losing Ziyech, in terms of attacking players, I think Noni's our only left-footed Noni. player. Matson, Matson's playing left wing, but Matson's left-footed. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily. He shouldn't lump be him starting. We again, we shouldn't be looking yeah. at Matson as a as a out and out winger at this point. Exactly. So I think I think just having that extra option um, is going to be good for us. But then also, if you want to just further validate the quality that Olise has, Manchester City is looking at him too to replace Riyad Mahrez long term. So if you want to, you know. Comp- not necessarily compare players in terms of class and ability, but just basic profile, very technical player, left-footed, can pick out a pass, phenomenal set-piece taker, has an eye for goal. He can sort of pull that rabbit out of the hat when you think nothing, you know, when you think nothing's on. He fits that profile that Riyad Mahrez does. So, you know, just based on that front, the fact that Manchester City's looking at him, could tell, you know, just a casual football fan how great he really is. But, you know, looking at Kudus, it's the same thing. He's also left-footed. He could also fill in the same spots that um, an Olise can in terms of playing centrally or playing out wide. But the difference between Kudus and Olise is Olise has that Premier League experience and Kudus has that Champions League experience. So I think they've both sort of proven that they could play in big games, they could perform in big games. To me, it's really just a matter of which guy could we get the better price for. Because I think either way, we're making a great choice in terms of purchases. Like, this is the first transfer window in a long time where I'm looking at the talent and depth at all of the positions minus goalkeeper and saying to myself, like, damn, like, this really is a feeding frenzy for the Sharks if they're willing to buy. Because there's talent everywhere in this window. And I mean, right wing is just another place to prove it. Between Olise and Kudus, for me, it's a. But I'll be happy with you. I think it's at the end of the day, I'll take either one of those guys ahead of, of Turkey. And, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll find out more by the end of the week. I bet you this signing gets done before Caicedo does. So that tells you everything <laughs> you need to know. Uh, the Did one we- thing that I'll say is I know we want to like, I don't know if we want to touch on the Brighton Caicedo thing real quick and then close it out. I want to oh, say man, that uh, fuck real quick. Yeah. Fuck them and the disrespect they're showing and in, in talking about our player like that that's beyond disrespectful. Like we should, if we weren't dealing with them for Caicedo, I'm sure Chelsea would have reported them to the FA for like tapping up or whatever it's called. But the thing Olise's agent did right is told him not to get a new contract because he has this release clause of 35 million and he can get his move now because apparently he's valued at somewhere like 80 mil within the next year or two. Yeah. Um, Now Caicedo's agent I think is the guy that us Chelsea fans should be screaming at because he got Caicedo to sign a new deal in January after he wasn't transferred and didn't include a release clause because he believed word to mouth was going to be strong enough to move his player. That's all I want to say. I think you, we can be angry at Brighton all we want, but they have every right to be douchebags about it because he is a player under contract. If you want to get angry, find out who Caicedo's agent is and, and be pissed at him. 
that's that's all I wanted to say on that end. I I don't want to give any more airtime to Brighton because I to me they're scum of the earth now. To me, um, like like I just want to say one thing about Deserby. Like this guy is acting like Jose Mourinho when he first came into the Premier League. Like this guy, the arrogance on this fucking guy after. Congrats! You brought you you got Brighton to finish in sixth place. Like, woof, sixth, woof, fucking do. Like, what the fuck? Like, like have have some fucking shame. Like, seriously, you really are. Like, I don't know. He, he, no, he's, not, he's, not, not his shame. Head is way too big. Have a slice of humble pie. How about that? Yeah, man. How about say Levi was a great player for us. We love and respect him. I love the opportunity to work with him again. But I'm not going to say anything else about him because he's another team's player. He's not with us. And not only that, the thing with him that bothers me is is like this guy thinks he's like like you said, Song, like that prime Mourinho. And I know when Mourinho came in, he was ruffling feathers and you know. But he was a Champions League winner. Champions League winner. He was allowed to say that. Deserbi hasn't done jack shit. You know, you go to Ukraine. I don't care if you have a good season in Ukraine. It's the Ukrainian. Nobody fucking watches, and it's not like, you know, we're, we're not talking a top 10 or even 15 world league. So it's like, okay, great, you did well in Ukraine, and now you come to the Premier League, and you jump into a team that already has a style of play, that already has a system, that already has a transfer strategy, that already has a, a group of directors. They already had everything in place for Deserby to just kind of come in and just tweak things not a little fuck bit. up. But he, yeah, he, exactly. He, like he so it's did like, a good job, and he's a good manager. But he's he's is way he thinks of himself way too high already. Yeah, and it's, and I think yeah, and I up. think ultimately I think ultimately that's going to be his downfall because what Brighton's doing is they're playing a very dangerous game with this Caicedo deal. I understand what Andres's point was about the agent and all of that. Totally understandable. Totally legitimate. I completely agree. The fact that the agent told him to re-sign and not put a, a buyout clause was was dumb. But the fact that Brighton is playing hardball like this with their own player, and their own player publicly said he wants to leave multiple times and publicly is disgruntled, it's just going to break down any future relationship that Brighton hopes to have with any other big club in terms of buying and selling players. If I'm Manchester City, if I'm Manchester United, Fuck it. If I'm Real Madrid, if I'm Barcelona, and I like a Brighton player, I'm going to look at the way that this situation with Caicedo was handled, and I'm going to look at the way that the situation with a guy like Cucurea was even handled as well. And I'm going to be like, you know what? Better probably not to deal with him. Let's go with this guy instead who's coming from this other team. You know, it's going to deter teams from even negotiating with Brighton. Because what they did in January, and let's not forget this, multiple teams were after him. 50 million, 60 million pound bids. Brighton gave him the bird and said, listen, we want 70 for him. And if you don't want to pay 70 now, you can pay it in the summer and you'll get him then. But we're getting him for 70 million. What happens? We bid 70 million. And now all of a sudden Brighton goes, oh, wait, but Declan Rice went for 130. That's how much our guy's worth now. The fuck? No, he's not. 105, 105, Zach. Let's, let's 105, 105, w- w- 105. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I said 130 because they're 30 million 30 mil apart in their yeah. evaluation. But like the point being, the fact that Brighton have publicly said, you know, we'll get rid of him for 70 million. That's how much he's worth in January. And then he doesn't yeah. necessarily light the world on fire between January and the end of the season because his head is kind of turned by that point, right? 
And Brighton's form, let's not forget, kind of tailed off towards the end of the season too. So like, in it's different if Caicedo was 70 million in January and then was the best DM full stop for the rest of the season. Now I could say, okay, let's go pay 105 for the guy. But the guy didn't necessarily light the world on fire that second half of the season to warrant a $30 million bump in his, in his, in his fucking price. And that's the thing that pisses me off the most about Brighton. They say one thing and they do another. And if you're a big club, I'd be wary of doing business in the future. And after Chelsea does this business with them, especially the discount we gave them on Gilmore, the loan we gave them for Colwell, the money we coughed up for we over We overpaid for Kukurea so that they wouldn't buy. Like, we've been... The thing that, honestly, like, forget this negotiation. Going back to last window. The thing that the owners said was how great it was dealing with Chelsea, how respectful, how open were to, they were to everything. And then just because they got a little sniff of semi-success, they're acting. It's kind of like when Lampard told Klopp that he was he's giving it a big in for winning the league once. And at least Klopp had a trophy to show for it. It's it's gonna be a very, very like fun experience to see them have a West Ham-like season where Europe is just going to destroy them. Having Europe was going to be one step too far. They're not going to win the Europa League, but I do think that will be their downfall. Anyways, I think we can close it out there, guys. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> we started we off the podcast there. saying fuck Brighton. We ended it saying And we had to Brighton. close it out. It's a good way to tying the knot. You know? Full circle ending. Graves. <laughs> so... Honestly, give us a follow on Blues on Parade I, on Twitter. Pretty simple stuff. If you guys want to email us, we haven't gotten a fan email in a bit. Those are always fun. It's at, it's bluesonparade at gmail.com. Just give us a follow. We're fun. We like to talk on Twitter. It's a good time. And uh, we're excited for two more matches this week. And as always, keep the blue flag flying high.